powerful name we pray. Amen. Starting with Father's Day, I was kind of struggling with where do I start? And Mother's Day was another one of those hard days because I'm not a mom. And it's hard to challenge moms without also feeling like, who am I to challenge moms? And that's where we have the Word of God that speaks for itself. But I wanted to start this morning with this short video clip. Nick, Ron, if you could get that started, and we'll follow with that. Hello. Children can go to Children's Church. Thank you. Do you have a favorite superhero? Yep, he's the best. Nuh-uh, my superhero is the best. What can your superhero do? My superhero isn't afraid of anything. in the day, nothing is impossible for my superhero to defeat. to teach me to be a superhero just like him. You are an expert in God's law. What does God say? <coughs> Love God with all of your heart and your neighbor as yourself. You're right. Do that and you'll have eternal life. Unlike some superheroes, mine knows where his powers come from. Hey, Dad! My favorite superhero isn't Superman or Batman or Wolverine or Iron Man. My favorite superhero is better than all of those combined. <laughs> my favorite superhero is my dad. Mine too. Heads up! <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Who's ready for a water balloon fight? So super dads, we salute you. Happy Father's Day. You know, when I was a kid, my, my dad would often tell us that he was Superman. And you know the funny thing about that? I think we often believed him. And we had a lot of fun with that. I, I don't think it was until we were teenagers that we really realized that my dad was not Superman. But even, even now today, we joke about that. Oh, Dad's Superman, right? And I think we sometimes joke about us being Superman now, because now we're dads. But I found this short video this week. I just had to show it to you. I thought it just led into our sermon greatly as we've been talking about heroes of faith and who are our heroes of faith. I think it's funny, but it's also very serious at, at the same time. It's funny how it starts, out, how it starts off. And maybe it created some memories in your own mind. Maybe it's memories of yourself as a dad. Or maybe it's memories of your own fathers who have helped you throughout life. Now, maybe it's memories of yourself or your dad protecting you from evil enemies, from villains like hornets and wasps and bees. Or maybe it's about fetching balls from the street, from the neighbor's house, from his yard that evil neighbor that nobody wants to go in their yard. <laughs> or maybe it's just reaching underneath of a car and grabbing that ball. But what I really loved about this video was how it ended. Let me read some quotes to you from the video. At the very end, the little boy says to the girl, my favorite superhero wants to teach me to be a superhero just like him. And then we see a dad reading a Bible with his son and doing a devotion with him. The girl says, my superhero knows where his powers come from. And then we see the daughter watching her dad in prayer. Then we hear, my superhero is my dad. Dads, your kids are watching you. What are they seeing you doing? Are you leading your family and taking care of them like a superhero? Or are you leading them astray like a villain? I think that's challenging in itself. But we're going to start this morning with going to Matthew chapter 7 as we dive into our word. So please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. I'm sorry I did not put it up on the screen this morning. And then once you have it, please go ahead and stand. I welcome you to use your tablets, your phones, and if you're able, please stand. If you're not, not a problem at all. Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to go back a little bit more than what I planned. We're going to start at verse 15, and we'll be going through verse 29. Matthew 7, starting at verse 15 through 29. And we read this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll recognize them by their fruits. 
verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. You may be seated. Thank you. Today we continue into our study of heroes of faith. And last week, we spoke about Elijah. I'm sorry, Elijah, Ruth. And the, the main point of Ruth that you left, you left with was God uses a faithful friend for an extraordinary purpose. And that speaks to your life as well. How are you being used? What type of friend are you being? The week before was Elijah. And the main point was prayer is powerful in the hands of a faithful man. Now, we can't summarize all our sermons, but I do ask you, if you haven't been in this series catch up on podcast or on YouTube, and you can find the links on our Facebook page or website. But today we're into a new hero, a new hero of our faith, and actually we're going to switch it up a little bit as we've been into the Old Testament. Well, today we're going into the New Testament, and then we're going to work our way backwards. As today we start with you and Jesus and Abraham. Heroes of our faith can look like many different things as we found in Ruth. It's not always a person holding a sword or a gun or going after a, a huge foe in front of a huge army, an enemy. Sometimes it's different. Now, ladies, I do want to say the sermon may be a little bit different for you because a lot of this is a challenge or a charge to the men. But if you listen closely, and especially at the end, I think you'll see that it all comes together to apply to all of our lives. A hero of faith. Dads, did you know that you are also considered a hero. I think that video helps you understand that. I think it helps paint a picture for you that your kids are watching you. They're watching what you're doing. What are they watching? Your kids can either see you as a hero of faith or a hero of the world. Your children, your wives, your coworkers, your family, they're watching you. Are they seeing you as a hero of faith just like what we've been studying? There's a quote from an unknown source which says this, Fathers may never know how their influence is shaping the lives of their kids. But God is using their godly examples to change the world. And Proverbs 14.26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. I thought that was very appropriate, considering the video we watched and the sermon we're in today, the message we're in, where we're talking about fathers. We're talking about fatherhood, and we're talking about what are you doing to be a hero of faith in not just your own lives, but your kids and your families and all those around us. And we see that God uses you to change the world. God uses you to change your kids. 
And in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. That's powerful. But I also think, and if you were to look in your bulletins today, you don't have to do it now, but there's a little insert that talks about this. Here I quote, it says, We have a National Father's Day holiday, and yet we have a culture that seems to be doing everything it can to deny the importance of fatherhood. Dads are frequently given a bad rap in the media, entertainment, schools, public policy, and even in our judicial system. Men, fathers, you are under attack. And unfortunately, the statistics don't lie, or at least... We're kind of doing a lot of things at times which make us deserve the bad rap that we're getting. Now, I can't speak to all of you men because I don't know all of you personally. And a lot of you men in here are doing a great job at being fathers. But what I can say is, say is statistics say that in the world, there are a lot of fathers that are not living how they should be living. They're not leading their families how they should be le leading their families spiritually. Unfortunately, we want to say, well, that's just the world. That's not... That's not Christians. That's not Bible-believing Christians who come to church every day and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But unfortunately, that's a lie, too, because a lot of the statistics show that the men that are going to church, they do one thing at church, but they go home and do another. Now, I hope that none of you in here are that way. But what I do know is we must start portraying a different picture to the world. And most importantly, we must portray a different picture to our children's and to our wives, a picture which portrays an earthly representation of God. Fathers, did you know that? Dads, you're supposed to be on this earth an image of God. As your kids see you, as your wives see you, we should be representing an image of what God our Father is up in heaven. Now that's hard to do, I understand. And I, I say this to myself too, this, this sermon, as me being a dad, me being a father, it also speaks to me. Ephesians 6, 4 says, We must be bringing our children up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Well, we've spent a lot of time looking into the Old Testament lately. Today we're looking to the New Testament and we're looking to ourselves, our own lives. How are we doing with training up our children in the knowledge of the Lord? I know at my old church, we came up with a song to try and remind us each week to do daily family Bible studies, or at least weekly family Bible studies, because that's one of the biggest things that we struggle with, I think, as dads, is we know we're supposed to be leading our kids spiritually, our family spiritually, but how often do we sit down at the dinner table or on the couch and read the Bible together with our families? How often do we pray together with our families? When we get a bad phone call, when we talk to somebody that's going through something, how often do our kids see us praying about it? How often do our kids see us praying ourselves? It's one thing I've loved about being a preacher, but it's no excuse for not doing it every single day with them personally, but I love that my kids get to see me preparing for my sermons as I wrap up my study on Saturdays at home for a few hours. I love that they see me in the Word of God, but are they seeing that every single day? And are you doing it with them? Today we looked at Jesus and his instructions for our own lives and instructions that we can also apply to our life as fathers. We look to Matthew chapter 7. Now I want to give you a little bit of explanation of where we're at. In Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 21, which we're really focusing on in 24 through 29, Jesus is wrapping up what we call the Sermon on the Mount. 
He's giving instructions to everyday people on how they should be living according to his word. And by the end of this, he starts talking about building houses. Now, don't you love how Jesus is like this master teacher? I just love reading the parables of Jesus and his teachings because he can use anything and use it to apply to his will, to his word, and to God's will on how we should be living, whether it be a, a tree or a seed or, in this case, a house. Now, Jesus doesn't use hard-to-understand sayings. He uses parables, which in that time were everyday things that people were doing with their life, so it helped them to understand. And sometimes we speak to too above people's minds. We, we like to use our big terminology, our big words, and they confuse people instead of talking in their own language. But here we have him using his own words, his own examples from people's personal lives, like building a house. And I also find it quite intriguing that 2,000 years later, we still use these same examples. Now, if we're to read this, I think that what we're going to find is we have two instructions for our everyday life. We have two commands for our everyday life, if you would take it that way. Two very important things to see, but really a lot of important things to see. What are those two things? Those two things are this. We're told to hear or listen to his words, and we're told to do them or obey them. As we start our reading, verse 24, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, it's number one, everyone who hears and then number two, and does them will be like a wise man. You must hear and you must do. You must listen and you obey. And then we see this example of building houses. Now, I, I really like this example of building houses as it talks about two things. Building your house on the rock and building your house on the sand. Now, I live in Wisconsin now. I've been here for about seven months. And it's hard to believe, but what I've learned is Wisconsin has a lot of sand. So I'm sure, I'm not a house builder, but I'm sure when you guys have built houses in the past, or barns, or sheds, or any type of outbuilding, you understood that it needs to be planted on a good, solid foundation. Now, I spoke to this at the Culver Youth Group camping um, trip on Wednesday night at their house. As I looked behind me and I saw these tents placed, and I saw that the women put their tents at a good spot. It was on solid ground. If it would rain, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't go flying away or floating away. But I couldn't see the guys' tents. So I told them, guys, I hope that you put your tent on good solid ground. Because I remember Scott Culver is telling me about this new piece of land he bought. And he was thinking about having the guys put up their tents there. It was down kind of in a gravel quarry type thing is what he was telling me. And I think I'm getting that correct. But as I thought about this scripture, this verse, I thought, hmm, they're down? I hope it doesn't rain. I know sand's big around here. I hope it doesn't rain. We must be looking to put our houses on a firm foundation. Now, obviously, this scripture doesn't necessarily mean real houses. What we're talking about is our spiritual lives. Are we making a firm foundation for our life so that when struggles come, when trials come, we, our faith will not be shaken. Again, we're talking about heroes of our faith. But also, as we see these words, I think we see two other things. Again, it says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Here's what words. What are we talking about? Well, I think we can look to the previous and the before. Again, we need to look at the context. 
Now the context of this is he is in a two-chapter long Sermon on the Mount, preaching to his people. And I think he's not just saying one, of, one thing, he's saying two. He says, everybody hears these words. He, we're in the final two paragraphs of this Sermon on the Mount. And he's saying, hey, I'm about to wrap up this sermon. I'm wrapping up this message. I'm wrapping up this teaching. And you need to hear and listen to what I've been teaching you. And now he goes on to wrap up. So he's not just saying one thing, he's saying two. He's saying, hear and do what I've been teaching you and listen to what I'm about to tell you. And as, as he does this, he wraps up. But Jesus has been talking a lot about things. He's been teaching things such as judging others, the golden rule, do not be anxious, laying up your treasures in heaven, beware of false prophets, loving our enemies, prayer, lust, divorce, anger, the Beatitudes, and more. If I could read it all today, I would, but I just wanted to list some of the major titles to maybe spark a memory of you reading this before. And if you've never read it before, I encourage you, read Matthew 5 to 7. Read all of God's Word, but read Matthew 5 to 7 if you have practical application for your life and how you should be living. And Jesus is telling us, listen, hear these words of mine and do these things. Hear these words and do them. And be like the wise man who plants his house, puts his house on the solid rock. We may apply this to all of God's word, though. We need to apply it to our lives with just this teaching, especially, yes. But we need to apply it to all of God's word. We cannot just listen to God and not do what he tells us to do. We cannot say that we're going to do it, but not actually do it. We must listen and obey. And I found that funny as I was talking, speaking about this sermon this morning to somebody. And I thought, the whole basis of this sermon is going to be talking about hear and do. Listen and obey. A wise man builds his house on the solid rock of God's word. I don't know about you dads, but I love to tell my kids. I, I wouldn't say I love. I, just, I know I say it a lot. I say, listen and obey. Son. Daughter, listen and obey. You don't always need to argue. You don't always need to think you know what's right. But then I think to my own life, I think to our lives, do we listen and obey to God? Do we hear and do what he's telling us to do? And I don't think we always do. So coming back to the, this verse, we need to listen and obey. We need to place our house, build our house on the solid rock. And you know why? Because again... We're told straight up from God's word. And it's so easy to understand. If you don't place your, your house, you don't build your house on solid rock, you build it on sand, the moment something comes into your life, your house is going to be crumbling down. It's going to be floating away. Now, you can apply it to the physical um, characteristics of a house, or you can compare it to your life. When you start going through a struggle, your family's falling apart, your job's falling apart, your finances are falling apart, Whatever is hitting your life, you must have a strong foundation, first of all, with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Secondly, on God's will and on his teachings and not your own. You must be obeying his word, placing your spiritual life in his hands. And that's what's going to build your house strong. Fathers, are you building your house on solid ground? Are you hearing what God is telling you to do? And doing it as well? Or are you just hearing it and ignoring it? Are you saying you hear him, 
but you're picking and choosing what you obey and what you don't obey. You know, there's some things in there that are really hard to do, like forgiving your enemies, praying for your enemies. That's hard. Not judging others, placing your treasures in heaven and not here. Maybe it's hard controlling your lustful thoughts. Maybe it's hard giving others a chance and treating them as you would want to be treated. Loving others as yourself. Maybe it's hard sometimes loving God before you love anything else. I saw a post this week on social media that says, Do God before you do Facebook. It's something so simple, but it's, it's truthful. We give so much attention to other things. Fathers, you are considered heads of, of your household. And dads, I think our, our pride, our superior, superiority complex sometimes gets to us with that. And we think, we're the, house, we're the heads of our household. You need to listen to us. But as fathers, we're the heads of our, our household spiritually. Are we doing it, though? Are we really leading our house spiritually? Are we building our house on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his teaching and God's word and his will for our lives? Now, again, I'm speaking to myself as well. But men, we love to think we're the heads of our house. But do we deserve this title? Do you deserve the right? Do you deserve the responsibility that God gives you? I think as we look to heroes of our faith, all throughout Scripture, we see this. We see that this is exactly what they're doing. This is why they're heroes of the faith, is because they continue to listen to God and do what he says. So I want to briefly just look at the life of Abraham. So you're welcome to turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, or I'll just read it to you as well. You don't need to stand to, for this one. But Genesis chapter 22, we have a very interesting story of Abraham. Now, I was going to start with this story. I was going to lead the sermon by just saying, titling, Take Your Son for a Hike. And then the next page would say, With the intent of sacrificing him, because that's what a good father does, right? The life of Abraham and, and the story of sacrificing his son is something which maybe we don't refer to often enough because we think, Wow, this is a really weird story. I don't know if I want to apply this to my life, right? As we look to our kids and we love them. And what does that speak to our kids if we want to say that we're willing to sacrifice them? But kids, listen up to this story. Genesis 22, starting at verse 1, we read this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Now, now, I think it's important to notice those, those certain statements, there's certain words in here. He didn't just say, take your son. They made sure we know that you love this son. Kids, he wasn't taking his least favorite. He was taking his favorite son, right? I only say that because I know all kids always think that they, parents have a favorite, right? But that's not true. We all love our kids equally, right? Well, here we're told, take your son, your only son, and the son that you love, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Offer him. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young son, 
Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, the fire, and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. This must be an awkward time, right? You're telling your son you're going up to an altar to make an offering, and yet you got your knife, you got your wood, but you got no animal to sacrifice. And your son's starting to wonder, what's going on here, Dad? Um, then we see, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the, offer, the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. So I can only imagine now even more of the emotions going through a dad's mind, his only son that he loves, and the son, as maybe dads just tell him, just trust me, God will provide the, God will provide the sacrifice, the burnt offering. But as dad's saying this, dad is tying his hands behind his back, maybe, it doesn't say, but he's bounding his son. He's laying him upon the altar. He's getting ready to make this sacrifice. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, all in faith. And the son, obviously, is obeying his father. And he didn't, we don't see him saying he ran off. He fought his father. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. God spoke to Abraham and said to him to take his son, his only son, his only son who he loved. And what did Abraham do? We're commanded to do much less. And often we pick and choose what we want to do. We pick and choose what parts of God's word we want to listen to. And what we want to say, you know, that doesn't really apply to my life. I, I don't think that verse means that. It means something else. Because we think, oh, well, all of God's scripture means something else to something to, to different people. But what we see in Abraham's life, and I think what we see in all God's word, is this. What did Abraham do? Abraham listened. He left on the journey. He obeyed. He went for a hike with his son. 
He heard God's word and he did what he was told. Abraham then is rewarded for his actions of faith and given a different sacrifice right at the right time, I must add, and a blessed with a future of many offspring and many nations which would be blessed. Now here's two quick notes on this. Now a quick note. One is that when you're speaking expositionally or you're preaching expeditionally, preaching or studying, and that's a big word, so I have a note on that, expositional preaching or study meaning you are exposing the truth of what God's word is meaning there. But as we're exposing the truth, we're not looking for what it means to us. What we're looking is what the Holy, Holy Spirit means, period. What is God saying in this word? Now, what it means to somebody else or what it means to you is different. That's application. That's how does it apply to your life. But it means, it explains what the Bible means by what it says. And a careful drawing out of the exact meaning of a passage in its original context. You need to look at the context. When you read the Bible, what are you looking for? Are you looking for what a verse means to you? Because I think a lot of times we hear that. Especially in personal Bible studies at home, we... We read a Bible verse and we say, now what does that mean to you? But we need to start with not that, because that's bad. What we need to start, about it, start with is, what does this word mean? What is God saying here? We look to the chapter before, we look to the chapter after, we look to, the, to, the, um, we look to other scripture which relates to it, and we try and see what is the original context here and what was God saying. It's only after that that we move on to application for our own life. And it's important to notice the difference. For instance, Abraham listened to God and did what he told him to do in completeness. He took his son Isaac with him, with the intent of offering him up as a sacrifice as God commanded him to do, right? He could have listened to this word of God and thought something totally different. And it was not until Abraham lifted up the knife that he was stopped. As us, his fathers, we could have thought, well, surely God isn't really telling me to sacrifice my son. And we could have went a different direction. You know, if we look into Hebrews, we're told that Abraham was a man of faith. And he believed that he was willing to go all the way. But he believed that even if he had to sacrifice his son, God would raise his son. Or God would provide somebody else. But I saw a great David Platt clip this week that spoke about this, about personal Bible study and bringing out meaning. He said this, Someone could hear this scripture, be asked what it means to them, and say, I think God is just telling me I should take more hikes with my kids. And they ignore the second part. Or someone else may say that they think the scripture means it's okay to sacrifice animals because they listen to the last part and not the middle and not the beginning. But the first question we ask should never be, what does this passage mean to me? It should just be, what does this passage mean? And what does it mean, period? Someone may also say, well, don't you know that God's word could mean different things for different people? And I would say, no. This is application. God's word means one thing. And it was spoken to one specific specific group of people at one specific group of time and it has one specific context but then we can draw it out and apply it to our lives as well but as we apply it to our lives we need to make sure we don't take away the meaning that God intended 
So we look to all of God's word. And what we see is this. We hear and do. We listen and obey. A wise man builds his house on the solid rock of God's word. And that's what we see from Abraham too. Is Abraham listened and obeyed. He could, have, he could have just applied certain parts, but he didn't. He listened to all of God's commands. And that's what we're told to do. And as we go back to the beginning to wrap up, we see that this is what Jesus tells us to do as well. 1 Samuel 25, 33 says, Godly fathers are a blessing to their children. And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou. Godly fathers are a blessing to their children. I asked my own daughter yesterday, my family, and my wife thought I was a little bit cruel with this, so I'll make that noted. If you are not a godly father, we're told godly fathers are a blessing to their children. So if you're not a godly father, what are you? What's the opposite of that? And my own daughter answered, before I said anything, a curse? Godly fathers are a blessing to their children. We must be godly fathers. We must be a blessing to our children. Fathers, we must listen and obey. We must hear and do. We must be heroes of faith. And as we are heroes of our own faith, we're heroes because we have, a, we have faith in God and his word, and we're listening to what he tells us to do, and we're doing it. We build our houses on the solid rock of God. Now, as we do that, we realize that we need to have that hope in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it starts there. You build your house personally on that spiritual life, which is placed in the trust of Jesus Christ. And in his commands, his teaching, and all of God's word. But I think we can also apply this to our life, that as we're building this house around us, we're also helping to set the foundation for our own kids' lives. Our own kids' houses. Our wives' houses. Our families' houses. And those around us. Because they're watching us. Proverbs 4.1 says, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Are you living a life that you want your kids to pay attention to? Are your kids gaining understanding of God by watching you? Hear God and do what he says. Listen and obey. A wise man builds his house on the solid rock of God's word. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word and your teachings and giving us so much to listen to and to obey. You didn't create us and leave us to just figure things out on our own, but you tell us the way to have hope and the way to have life, which is depending on your son, Jesus Christ. And you tell us also to how we must live in certain things which we find hard, like forgiving our enemies or treating others as we treat ourselves or not having lustful thoughts or not focusing too much on our problems, but realizing we might be happy in our problems, blessed in our problems. Lord, you give us all these instructions to have a blessed life, but it all starts with you and building our house on the solid rock of your commands and not on the sand which can wash away when trials come, when struggles come. May we build our house on the solid rock of you and your commands and on the salvation you give us, Lord. May we listen and obey to all of your word and not just pieces. In your holy name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you very much.